Thanks so much for checking out this podcast from Anchor Church Southwest. We really hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources, or info, please check out our website, anchorchurch.com.au. I'm James. I'm one of the pastors over at Anchor City. And um, it's really just a privilege to be able to spend the time with you guys. Uh, We love you guys uh, being in this family of churches together. And we pray for you often. And I love to hear updates about how things are going over here. So thanks for having me. Well, as Anato said this afternoon, I want to continue uh, in this series that you guys are doing, also this series that we're doing, called The Upper Room, and with a message called, I Have Overcome the World. So why don't you pray with me, and uh, let's, let's get into it together. Father God, you are so good to us. Uh, you, you speak to us, and you reveal things to us, Lord, um, according to what it is that you want us uh, to be reminded of, what you want us to be convicted of, challenged about, comforted in. And so I thank you for the privilege it is to be able to uh, share your word this afternoon with the family here at Anchor Southwest and ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts and minds now, Lord. Give us uh, the ears to hear, uh, the softness of heart to receive the things that you have for us that we might be uh, built up and strengthened, refreshed, uh, and have a a fresh sense of who you are and what you have done um, for us. And I ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Well, a little bit about me. So I'm here today with my wife, Katie, uh, and uh, we are one month out from expecting our first child. Um, which is very exciting. And I want to share with you guys a little bit uh, of my story, of my journey. Uh, and even being a stranger with some of you this afternoon, I'm, I'm, I'm opening. The walls are coming down. I'm just going to share with you guys honestly and, uh, yeah, in realness. Um, so in mid-2020, uh, in the middle of the first lockdown, first year of the big pandemic, I had... Um, a really serious conversation with uh, my wife. She uh, knew that I'd been wrestling with my headspace. She knew I'd been wrestling with uh, my thought life, my mental health for a little while. Uh, lockdown was getting the better of me. Uh, I felt isolated, uh, alone, stressed. And she, I distinctly remember around the dinner table one night, we had a conversation and she encouraged me. She said to me, James, your mental health is starting to affect me, starting to impact me, and I, I think that it would be really good if you would consider um, finding someone that you could speak to about these things. I, I kind of knew that I hadn't been feeling great for a little while. Um, I was experiencing it, but sometimes you need the external voice of someone outside of you to confirm things which maybe you have a sense might be happening internally. And so I, I heard her and decided I'd reach out for help. Um, later that month, by God's grace, I was able to book myself in with a, a Christian psychologist. Um, and we had rapport from the beginning, which was a tremendous grace. And I remember she said to me in our first session together, James, um, 
If you've ever been to see a psychologist or a mental health professional, you'll know they ask you a bunch of questions, which is supposed to ascertain, you know, your mood, and they kind of um, score you on this kind of system, which tells you, it's basically just like, you know, how are you going in these different areas of mental health? And so she told me, James, you are, um, you're severely anxious, you are extremely depressed, and uh, you have extremely severe levels of stress. What everyone wants to hear, right? <laughs> when you're not feeling great. And so, you know, this wasn't the first time mental health had reared its head for me. Back in 2018, I experienced a series of panic attacks, kind of been struggling with anxiety, but I felt like I'd kind of got a hold of it, and then, bam, COVID, pandemic, everything. Um, isolation and to be really honest with you guys this afternoon that was definitely I would say the darkest most hopeless place that I think I've ever been in I genuinely felt like I was at the bottom in this pit and I couldn't see the way out couldn't see how am I gonna get out of this and I started uh, coming in for appointments every two weeks at first, uh, and that, that gradually became less frequent over time, and little did I know that first appointment was actually the beginning of what would be an 18-month journey with my psychologist. And we worked on my headspace, uh, we talked through things, I grew an awareness of myself, and you know, wh what are my tendencies, why do I think about these things, where do these thoughts come from? Uh, I got equipped with various tools, strategies to help me. Um, now, why, why am I telling you this? Why am I telling you this? Well, I'm not telling you this because it's a Cinderella story of success. Uh, even though I kind of was discharged after 18 months from seeing her, um, and now I just I touch base with her every couple of months more in a counselor kind of capacity. I don't, I don't share this with you because it's a triumphant story. I still struggle with these things um, today in varying degrees at different times, you know, in the ebbs and flows of life. Uh, I'm not sharing this with you because I want your sympathy, um, but I want to share this with you because in this passage uh, today, which Anato's read for us, and I'm going to be particularly zeroing in in the last couple of verses of the passage, Jesus talks about trouble. He talks about troubles that we'll experience in life. And I want to ask you this morning, not this morning, I preached this morning, I want to ask you this afternoon as we get going. You've heard some of my stories, some of my troubles. What are some troubles that you've faced in your life? Uh, perhaps what are some troubles that you might even be facing now? Hardships and difficulties that you might be walking through. Because trouble and hardship, you see, they're part of the human life, and I'm sure many in this room have experienced immense difficulties. Uh, maybe you have been fortunate enough to have avoided them so far, but I think that they're coming. That's one thing that we know about life. They're coming. Trouble is a part of the human experience. And the question I want to ask you is, where do you turn in those moments? Where do you turn? Where can you find, or where do you look to find the strength to keep going? What do you put your hope in? Where do you find a peace that ultimately lasts? that speaks into your situation and lasts. And so these are some of the things that Jesus talks about in the scripture that we have 
just read. And I want to spend the next little while trying to help you see how these words are real and relevant for us today. And my hope is that we would leave this afternoon, we would leave today with more hope, more strength, more joy, more comfort, not because over the next half an hour or 45 minutes, our circumstances have radically changed, but because we have received and seen again a fresh vision of who Jesus is, what He has done for us, and and what that peace and what that hope is that He actually has to offer, that He's holding out to us. Does that sound all right for you guys? Sounds good? Okay, so as we dive in, Uh, Have your Bibles there open to John chapter 16, and I want to hone in on verse 33. That's where we're going to camp out for most of the message this afternoon, and I want to show you a few things that Jesus promises, a few things, a few truths that Jesus says. These are the realities of life. This is what Jesus says. And so the first promise that Jesus gives in verse 33 there is, he says that his disciples will experience trouble in this world. You will have trouble in this world. I don't know, maybe that's not what you want to hear when you come to church on a Sunday afternoon. Don't shoot the messenger. These are just the words of Jesus. And essentially what he's saying is following me doesn't equal a trouble-free life. Following me doesn't equal a trouble-free life. Life. And so we're right to question and ask, well, what kind of trouble is he talking about? What kind of trouble is he talking about? Well, if we remember that this upper room discourse, this is one long conversation from chapter 14 to chapter 17, then we can recollect some of the things that Jesus said earlier. So have a look with me uh, in chapter 15. The words will be on the screen as well. Chapter 15, verse 18. These are some of the troubles that Jesus talks about. So he says... Chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. We'll jump down to the next verse, verse 20. Jesus says this. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. Because Jesus is the master. The disciples are his servants. That's what he's saying. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So here is a few of the troubles that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about opposition from the world, uh, rejection, being misunderstood, mistreated, maybe even persecuted. And earlier in chapter 16, Jesus also talks, he says in verses 1 and 2, describes, you know, the disciples, they're going to be put out of the synagogues, they're going to be cast out. Some people even want to kill them, which I think in our context where we live, that's that's crazy. Some people will even want to kill them. And in verse 32, immediately before verse 33, he, he talks about how the disciples will be scattered, each to their own home. And so these are some of the troubles that Jesus talks about. I'm sure this isn't an exhaustive list. Um, Even looking at the life of Jesus, we can see some of the other troubles that Jesus faced. We know that if we read through the Gospels, we see on occasion Jesus was mistreated. Sometimes Jesus was misunderstood, rejected, even by his own family. 
even by people that he thought were his own friends, followers who were fervent for him, but then changed their mind, changed their heart. Jesus experienced rejection and loneliness, mistreatment. And after Jesus ascends and goes to be with the Father, we know if we read through Acts that his disciples, the apostles, they were mistreated and experienced various kinds of difficulties. And so the point is this, following Jesus doesn't equal a trouble-free life. For his disciples then and his disciples here today for us, there will be hardships, there will be opposition, there will be mistreatment, maybe even persecution. As crazy as it is to think one day, persecution in Sydney, in Australia, where tolerance is everything for us, right? And you might be wondering, so what's the point, James? What are, you, what are you getting at? What does this mean for us today? And the point is, the reason why I'm telling you this is because we shouldn't be surprised when we experience troubles in life. We shouldn't be surprised when we experience troubles in life. Jesus is clear, a servant is not greater than his master. And so if we are to be disciples of Jesus, if we're to be people who you know, as we say at Anchor, are people following in the way of Jesus? How can we expect to walk in a way that is a different experience from what our Lord and Savior experienced? Now, I want to just pause there for a minute to say, you know, it's important to note not all of our troubles come from following Jesus, right? Some of our troubles come from bad decision-making, things that the Bible would call foolishness, as the writer would say in Proverbs. Uh, some of the trouble in our life is self-inflicted comes as a result of our own brokenness, our own sin. And so I'm not, I'm not saying every single thing that happens in life, you burnt your toast this morning, like that's trouble because you're following Jesus. But Jesus is clear there will be troubles. And, and here's why this matters. Here's why these expectations matter. Because if we believe that Jesus has promised us a trouble-free life, then when hardships come, when trouble comes, our faith will falter. Perhaps our faith will even fail. See, in an attempt to make Christianity, the Christian message, more attractive throughout history, various people, speakers, preachers, ordinary people as well, have communicated sometimes a gospel message which is trouble-free. And then when people accept this and they begin to walk out that life of faith, when they experience a life that conflicts with what they've been heard, they're devastated. They walk away because they have been sold a version of Christianity, a version of the gospel message, which is different from what Jesus promised. And I, I think it's really sad when that happens. I think it's devastating. But to be really blunt, the fact of the matter is we simply cannot hold Jesus to promises that he never made. We cannot try and cash checks that Jesus never wrote. It's like a child, maybe for the parents in the room who've had to go through this kind of thing or think through this, it's like a child who's grown up being promised and told, you know what, you can have whatever you want. You can be whoever you want to be just because you want it. And what happens to the kid who grows up being fed that mentality? when they experience the realities of life and the realities of hard work and even unfairness, the fact that sometimes things don't work out, even if you've done everything that you think you should have done, they end up disillusioned, devastated. 
because their parent told them. You can have whatever you want. As long as you want it, you can have it. But we know that's not how the world works. So I want to ask you this afternoon that when you experience trouble in life, when hardship rears its head in your life, what's your response? Do you get angry at God, you know? Shake your fist towards heaven and, God, you're failing to deliver on these promises which this person said that you would do for me? Or do you understand that troubles will come? Or perhaps when the possibility arises that people would make fun of your faith. I'm not going to say persecution because I don't think we experience real persecution, but I think we can experience being misunderstood for what we believe. You know, that weird look in the office or that, that kind of prying question and you're wondering whether the person is judging you or not. You know, when that happens to you, do you understand that that's part and parcel of following in the way of Jesus? And so do you stand up unashamed for what you believe? Or do you shrink back, minimize, you know? When your colleague asks you, what'd you do on Sunday? And you're like, oh, just like hung out with community or something. Because community is the word that we say, which to us, we think communicates church, but it's not explicitly saying church, so we know that we're not going to be in the firing line for that, right? Or someone asks you, do you really believe that? What's the Christian perspective on that? And instead of engaging and just speaking the truth in love, you shy back. Oh, no, like, we don't really believe that. No, I don't really take it that seriously, you know? See, so often I think we can be ruled by this desire to be accepted and affirmed of by the world. And yet when we look at the words of Jesus, he said, the world is not going to affirm you. Heck, the, world, the world's not even going to understand you. They might even hate you. And on the one hand, it's this tension because on the one hand, we, we want to be faithful. We want to make a difference for Jesus. We want to be a light that shines and tell people about him. But then on the other hand, we're so fearful of rejection that we hide everything that would make us different, that would make us stand out, that would draw people to Jesus. Consider the words of the great evangelist Billy Graham, who said, the Bible clearly says that faithfulness and persecution often go hand in hand. He says, the Bible clearly says that faithfulness and persecution often go hand in hand. And so that ought to make us look at ourselves and question. Now, we know we're not being persecuted, right? But if people aren't even curious, if they're not even asking us questions about what we believe, we have to ask ourselves, am I actually living this out? Is this actually a public faith that I don't just receive on Sunday and worship on Sunday and, and pray on Sunday or in my quiet times when I'm by myself, but I'm actually standing out. I'm actually willing to stand up for Jesus, to stay true to Him. And so the first thing that Jesus promises, He says, you're going to have trouble in this world. You're going to have trouble in this world. There's, there's no two ways about it. But the second promise that Jesus gives in verse 33 as well is he says, despite this trouble, despite the opposition, he has overcome the world. So you listen to his words there. He says in verse 33, in this world, you will have trouble. Can't get around it. 
but take heart. I have overcome the world. I think these words must have been both a great relief and also kind of confusing for the disciples. I think it was a great relief because he's just said that they're certainly going to experience trouble. So it's good to hear him say, you know, take heart though. I've overcome the world. That's good news for the disciples. But I think it's also confusing for them because if we think about the broader picture here, what's happening, this upper room conversation, this upper room discourse is happening just before Jesus. What? He's going to be, he's going to be betrayed. He's going to be arrested, put on trial, mocked, beaten, spat on, falsely accused. Or while he's not going to fight back, he's not going to defend himself, even though he was innocent. And ultimately, he's going to go to the cross and be crucified and die. A painful death, a public death, a shameful death. And his disciples are going to see all of that happen. Now, if you were someone who, if it was you in Jesus' shoes, would you be saying, take heart, I have overcome the world just before all these things are going to happen to you? So it's curious, it's, it's, it's confusing. How does what appears to be a loss actually work out to be victory? How does that work? How is Jesus overcoming the world? Flick over to Colossians chapter 2 with me, and let's, let's have a look, because I think the Apostle Paul... He shed some light on what Jesus accomplished and how these verses make sense. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, verse 14, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And verse 15, listen to this, because this is particularly important. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made what? He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. See, what Paul is saying here is that even though outwardly, Even though to the random onlooker of the day, Jesus going to the cross might have looked like loss, this was actually the pathway for Jesus' ultimate victory. That he would triumph over the powers and authorities against him, against us, sin, the world, death, the devil. And he would nail all of those things to the cross and take them away. See, through Jesus, all of our sin and our legal indebtedness, which is just a way of saying all of those guilty strikes against us for our inability to, to live up to the, to the perfection of a holy God, all of that, not just our sin, our actions, our behaviors, our attitudes, our words, but also the guilt for those things. It's been taken away and nailed to the cross. And if you don't know Jesus personally, if you wouldn't call yourself a follower of him, that's what, he has, that's what he's done for you. That's the message of the cross, the good news of the gospel, that Jesus has done that. But if that weren't enough, if that weren't enough, consider the manner in which Jesus did this. The scripture says the powers and authorities, all those things and spiritual beings and forces that were opposed to God, they weren't just defeated 
God made a public spectacle of them. In the ESV, Paul says, God put them to open shame. This is like humiliation. Like if this were a boxing match between the forces and powers and authorities that oppose God and Jesus, and you know, they're in the ring, said you were like this one, and they're sparring against each other, right? This is not like a stalemate where it's a, it's a victory by points by decision. You know, oh, it was pretty even, but you know, Jesus, he got a few extra hooks and uppercuts in there. But this is an emphatic victory. This is victory by knockout. Jesus put these forces to shame, the ESV says. He embarrassed them. Jesus has overcome the world. But listen carefully. Notice Jesus doesn't say here, take heart, you have overcome the world. Now he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. Have courage, which is an, another uh, translation of what take heart means. Have courage because of what I've done, because of the sinless life that I lived, because of my perfect sacrifice for you. Have courage because of the victory that I won over sin and death. See, our society and social media and influences for those of us who are tuning into that kind of thing on a semi-regular basis, what do they say to you? They say, put your hope in yourself because you are strong enough to overcome all the troubles in your life. You have all of the internal resources, the inner strength, the power, the self-determination. Your issue is just that you don't know how to tap into it. So if you believe enough, if you try enough, if you read my self-help book, and if that's not working for you, here's a list of 10 affirmations to read over yourself every morning when you wake up. And if that's not working, just keep believing until you manifest your victory and your perfect trouble-free life, right? And if that doesn't work for you, well, it's just tough luck. I guess you're not good enough at it. You need to find someone else to follow on Instagram who can give you better tips. No, Jesus doesn't say, put your hope in yourself. He says, put your hope in me. I've done it. I've done what you couldn't do. I've lived the life that you couldn't. I died in your place as a sacrifice that was perfect, that you couldn't be. I rose to life, which you could never do by yourself. I defeated sin and death. I'm making a way where troubles will be no more in the future. See, Jesus is the reason that we take heart. Jesus is the reason that we can find courage. And so Jesus, he, he tells us the reality of life. He tells us, you're going to have troubles. He tells us, but take heart, have courage, because I have overcome. And thirdly, he tells us and promises us that despite the troubles that his disciples will face, despite the opposition, despite the hardship, they can have peace. They can have peace. He says there, verse 33, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. See, everything that Jesus has been telling them in this upper room discourse, because we know, right, you guys have been tracking through the book, there's some crazy stuff. 
And there's some scary stuff. And there's some stuff that if you were a disciple then and even now and you believe Jesus' words, it ought to make you feel a little bit nervous. But you see, Jesus has told them all these things, not to scare them, but to prepare them. He's taught them about how He is the way to the Father. We think way back when He says, I am the way, the truth, and the lie towards the beginning of this series. He's taught them about how He's going to send them the Holy Spirit to counsel them and teach them and guide them so that they won't be alone. He's taught them about how they can abide in Him, how they can connect themselves and be united with Him even when He's no longer there physically. He's telling them these things so that when He is gone, when He goes in a sense to be with the Father, they can remember they can recollect the words, and they can set their hearts at rest. You see, this is the heart of Jesus for his disciples. He doesn't leave them alone. He doesn't leave them uninformed or unprepared, even though we know they don't fully get it yet, right? Like we know they're going to be scattered after he gets arrested, and we know Peter's still going to deny him three times, and they're going to be like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Even though it's like he's been telling them all these things. But he's telling them this so that when he's no longer with them, they will be able to find peace in Him, in the words that He's given them, in the promises that He's made. And that's the heart of Jesus, not to leave them alone, but to prepare them. As He says, servants, they don't know the business of their master, but He's called them friend. If you're a disciple of Jesus today, He has called you friend. And so as I close... I want to ask you a question this afternoon. I want to ask you, where do you find peace in the troubles of life? When hardship comes, when difficulties arise, and you need peace to keep you going through the daily grind of life, where do you find it? Where do you look for it? Maybe you find it at the bottom of a bottle, perhaps. Maybe you find it through numbing yourself, through binging on streaming services. Maybe you find it through escapism. Maybe you get a momentary experience of peace through the affirmation of others, whether that's in real life or online, on social media. Maybe you get a momentary sense of peace through the assurance and affection of your partner or your family. Or maybe you just chalk up your lack of peace to your external environment, right? Like, oh, it's just this job. It's this job and these toxic people in my life. And they're the ones who are contributing to my lack of peace. And so what do I need to do? I need to disconnect from them. Maybe if I just go off the grid for a little while. Maybe I need to go on a holiday and then I'll find my peace. But if it's only peace you can find when you remove things, is that really peace? Is that peace or is that just the absence of trouble? See, the problem with all of these solutions is what they offer us is a glimpse. They offer us a shadow of the true and lasting peace that only Jesus can give. A peace that He gives freely and limitlessly that isn't dependent on whether the troubles in our life are here or not, 
but it's dependent on Him and His victory, what He has already done and secured for us, what He has made available to us through His Holy Spirit. See, all of these things that we look to, that we chase after, they buckle under the weight of our expectation and pressure because the truth is they were never designed to be what we truly need. That person, that thing, that activity, that destination, that experience, they fold under the weight of pressure that was never meant to be put on them. And so this morning, I just want to pray for us. I want to give us an opportunity to respond and to ask Jesus for that peace because I believe when he says that in me you may have peace, he actually means that. That's a promise that he intends to keep. And it's not just an intellectual thing to understand and acknowledge and then try and filter out into our behaviors, though that is part of it. It's a peace that he wants us to experience. And so in a moment, I'll just ask you to stand as we prepare to worship, and I'd love to pray for you. But before I do that, let me close by reading this quote by the theologian Donald Miller, who I think just summarizes this peace of Jesus so beautifully. He says this, As long as a Christian is in the world, he will be pressed as though by a great mob. It's the troubles right here. He will be crushed in spirit as though great crushing weights were lying on his chest. He will know spiritual anguish like that of a mother in labor. This Jesus has told us. When he speaks, therefore, of peace, it is not the peace of unruffled days, but the inner confidence of a warrior who is Weary, thirsty, outnumbered, and wounded, but who fights bravely on, confident of the outcome, assured of victory. We are saved, not from trouble. We are saved in trouble. So why don't you stand, and I'd love to just pray for us. And let's ask God if he would meet us in this moment and minister to our hearts as we prepare to worship. Our Father, we thank you that you are so kind to us. We thank you that you sent your Son for us and that he has overcome the world. We praise you, Lord, that his victory, it was not decision by points, Lord, but it was emphatic. That he triumphed, that he defeated every force and power and authority that opposed you, that stood against you. He put them to public open shame and that in doing so and in rising to life he has made a way for us to know true peace and so I pray for uh, my brothers and sisters here today I pray particularly for anyone who is facing troubles right now I pray for those who've walked in this afternoon with troubles bearing down on them Lord carrying troubles and difficulties and hardship on their shoulders. And Lord, I pray right now that we would, we would surrender these to you. 
And if you, if you want to do that this morning, I just invite you, even as your eyes are closed and mine are closed, just open up the palms of your hands. Just open up your, your hands just as a symbol of response, just saying, God, I give you my troubles. I give you my fear. I give you my anxiety. And I ask you to fill me with your peace. And so, Lord, by your Spirit, I pray that we would experience, even now, Lord, a fresh revelation, a fresh experience of the peace that only you can give, Jesus. A peace that surpasses all understanding. A peace that transcends our circumstances. A peace that is not dependent on a trouble-free life, but that meets us even in the midst of our troubles and lifts our hearts and lifts our gaze towards you to see the victory that we have in you, that you have overcome this world. And so I just pray, Lord, even now that you would just be ministering to our hearts. For anyone who needs comfort this afternoon, Lord, that you would be comforting them, that you would be binding up broken hearts, Lord, that you would be restoring faith and strengthening hope and bolstering expectation that we might have the strength to walk day by day with you, Jesus, through the victories, through the losses, through the joys and through the difficulties, knowing that ultimately we can turn to you and find the peace that our souls need. Because what you have done is final, it is definitive, and it has secured our future, Lord, and your presence with us now. So I pray you do this work in Jesus' name. Amen.